Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Live Preview Show. My name is Carl Bainbridge, and I am joined as ever by the Conspiracy to My Theory, the Morecambe to My Wise, the Reeves to My Mortimer. It's John Marsh and MMA. John, thank you once again for joining us on this Monday evening. What's up, Carl? What's up, INC Live listeners? Yep, good to be back as always. It's our second pay-per-view of 2022. Uh, pretty close pay-per-views. I think only, what, two or three weeks in between these. Um, but, you know, we got a solid card. It'll be fun to talk about this main card especially. And uh, we got a killer main event uh, in the rematch between Izzy and Whitaker. So I'm excited to talk about these fights. And I have to say as well, a big thank you to everyone who has been supporting INC Live over the past couple of weeks. Because uh, I was just looking at some of the numbers as well. Uh, UFC 270 was our most watched preview show since we moved onto the side channel. And Garnu versus Garn, I think there was something like 600 people watched that one. And of course, our post-fight reaction, over a thousand people tuning in to hear me rabbiting on for 15 minutes about that card. So a big thank you to everyone who has been supporting us. Yeah, I guess the, the the people tuned in for the big heavyweight fight, um, you know, that the fight itself didn't really deliver too much action, but uh, it was cool to see uh, Francis retain the title, uh, use his wrestling, and, uh, you know, that was a pretty good card overall too, I believe, right? I thought it was pretty solid as well. I mean, it didn't have the star power, but I think given the low expectations that people had, I think it overachieved. In a lot of ways, mm -hmm. very similar to what we saw on Saturday in the Hermanson versus Strickland card. Main event, not greatest, but I think the rest of the card, very, very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of finishes, first of all. Um, that's always good to see. Um, you know, you had that uh, Jalton Almeida guy at 205 who looks like, uh, you know, an absolute killer, uh, just ran through marks on the ground. He could be like the the Chemayev of the 205-pound uh, division. Um, you know, there was a lot of good stuff. Arosa Peterson was like a, a fight of the year candidate. We'll be talking about that one in like 10 or 11 months, uh, recapping the entire year, because that was just as entertaining as a fight gets. So um, Shavkat had another great finish. So, yeah, it was, it was a solid card for, like, performances. I think so as well. I think Shavkat especially. I know that a lot of people focus on Chemayev. He's talking the big fight. He's getting all the early finishes this guy for me sort of if Shemaev is the person who the casuals are sort of leaning towards and saying that guy's going to be a champion the sort of hardcore fans there's almost South support that the sort of alternative indie fans of the sport they're looking at Shavkat yeah and I, I sent out a tweet about this but like the guy has just like no microphone skills. You know, it's just it's really unfortunate that he's leaving all this popularity on the table because um, you know, he he speaks, you know, only Russian or Kazakh. I don't know which of the two, probably both, honestly, but he doesn't speak English. He doesn't really have a lot of charisma. And, you know, it's just extremely hard to gain popularity like that. You know, I mean, look at Jose Aldo. I mean, he was, uh, you know, uh, one of the best fighters in the sport for years and years and just never really caught on popularity wise until like the Connor fight, really. Um, so uh, if I were him, I would, you know, just practice a few English phrases. That's all you got to do. Uh, Chemayev, you know, just a few phrases and he's extremely popular. So Shavkat's got to, you know, get some English lessons, I'd say. That being said, though, I'd much rather him stay silent than constantly hear I smash everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got to get he's got to like come up with his own like uh, like Kazakhstani phrases or something like that. I mean, the dude, the hat, he's got like the like the kind of the, the Khabib hat type of thing. It's a different type of hat, but like he's an interesting personality. I mean, he's just got to, you know, voice that personality. So. Hopefully, he, he continues to grow in the future. 
Any opinions regarding the main event at all? Not really. Um, I mean, pretty insane that it was a split decision. I mean, to think that one judge saw that fight and thought that Hermanson won. I mean, it's just what the hell is going on here? Um, but yeah, pretty forgettable co-main and main event. Both those fights just weren't good. Yeah, you broke it down very well on your own YouTube channel, John. If people want to see what you have to say about that card and also what they have to say about future events coming in, in the future, where's the best place to do so? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Martian MMA on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and SoundCloud. I do podcasts talking about the betting lines for every single fight on the card. So uh, we're going to be focusing on the main card here for 271. But if you want to hear my thoughts on the 10 prelims, um, then you can hear that uh, in a few days on my channel. So uh, check me out over there. And we'll be turning our attention ourselves to those prelim fights. As you mentioned before, 10 fights on the card. So normally the UFC don't put this many cards on the, pre on the prelims, I should say. Struggling with my words here. They don't usually put these many fights on the prelims. But are we seeing the UFC do something which a lot of people have been advocating for? Because obviously we're in a strange climate. Are the UFC choosing to overstack these prelim fights so that if they do lose two or three because of circumstances beyond their control, they still have a strong card? That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, that is possible. I just think that you know, the roster is so big and they just need to They, I think we might just start seeing 14, 15 fights per event be the norm. Um, you also have a few uh, Aussie guys, uh, Mathea, Malkoon, Olberg. Um, you know, maybe they're trying to, you know, get get some more uh, Aussie talent on the card just to make, uh, you know, the, to strengthen the Whitaker side. I mean, Whitaker and uh and Adesanya both have those, you know, and Zach roots. So I guess they're trying to just, uh, oh, and Tuivasa too, I forgot. So yeah, five, five or six um, guys from Anzac on the card. And I guess that's kind of like the theme of the card. And another Anzac representative is part of a fight that we're going to be focusing on in the prelims here, which is Casey O'Neill. Now, 8-0 in the UFC, she's broken into the flyweight rankings, but she's very much going to be the B-side of this fight because Roxanne Modafferi, women's MMA pioneer, been in the sport for 20 years. She's already announced it's going to be her final fight in the sport. Now, Roxy might... There's two different generations of fans, I feel. And there's some which don't really realize the strength of Roxanne Modafferi's career. Because at one point, this lady was in sort of like the dark years of women's MMA. Roxanne Modafferi was arguably the best female fighter in the world. Yeah, I mean that 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 did have to be like a long, like almost like fifteen years ago or something like that. But um, yeah, very you know probably uh, one of the most pro MMA fights for a woman ever. I think you know maybe some Japanese women have a few more, um, but definitely like for a North American uh, women's MMA fighter, she's got to have the most, right? Um, and you know she's going out with a tough matchup. I kind of wish they would have given her a little bit easier of a matchup. I mean, Casey O'Neill has looked, you know, pretty promising, a good ground fighter, very tenacious with her finishing ability. And, you know, the odds indicate that she, uh, Monteferi is a three to one underdog here. But I just feel like Roxanne winning a, the, her final fight as a big underdog would be like the most Roxy thing ever to happen. So I feel like she honestly like the writing is on the wall for her to pull off the upset victory on her way out. Yeah. Mind you, she has beaten two unbeaten fighters in the past. She was the first person to beat Antonina Shevchenko when Antonina did have a lot of hype behind her. 
And then, of course, we saw what she did to Macy Barber on the McGregor versus Cowboy card. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility for Roxy to pull off this upset. Um, I will say, though, because a little bit of a spoiler alert, we do have a Roxanne Modafferi video coming out on the main channel. That's going to be out on Wednesday. For a woman to be in the sport for 20 years and still be relevant at the top level of the sport, that's, that deserves a lot of praise. Yeah, it does. Um you know, I mean, all the respect to Roxy for sticking around. You can see her, her her physicality starting to dwindle a little bit. It looks like, I'd say like her knees is like the, the most evident part, right? She just doesn't move the same, doesn't really have that same spring in her step. Um, and, you know, honestly, her past few fights have been kind of difficult to watch. But the one thing you can take like some comfort from is just, uh, I believe, 15 months ago, she outgrappled Andrea Lee to a decision victory. And, I mean, Andrea Lee is a solid fighter on the on the ground and on the feet. Um, you know, probably one of the top 10 women at women's uh, flyweight right now. And Roxanne beat her just a little over uh, a year ago. So, I mean, she's very capable of, of, of still grappling well. I mean, obviously, this fight should have a lot of grappling in it and you know Casey O'Neill if she gets put on bottom you know there's a good chance that she stays there and Roxanne keeps her there um I mean Casey's UFC run has been pretty one-sided she really hasn't faced much adversity so I mean I definitely think that this line this betting line is a bit out of control they're just seeing like oh a new prospect she's been dominant a uh, four to one favorite over Roxanne but you know this is no strange scenario to Roxanne and I think she'll be game to you know maybe get on top here and pull off this upset and speaking of fighters that continue to hang around and still remain somewhat relevant to the sport what about Andrea Lofsky? What, 43, 44 years old now and still picking up wins in the UFC? He's going to be headlining the prelims up against Jared Vandera. Where do you stand on Arlovsky, especially late career Arlovsky? Oh, I fucking love the guy. I mean, he's he's just great. Um, uh, I mean, I think his longevity is arguably one of the most impressive things ever in MMA. I mean, for, for you to be fighting, you just mentioned Roxy fighting, you know, okay, that is impressive and everything, but she fought, you know, in the women's lower divisions, not a lot of, of power, not a lot of knockouts. I don't think she's ever been knocked out right in her career. I think the um, only pro knockout was Sarah Kaufman at strike force. And that was like when Kaufman channeled a like rampage Jackson slam. Okay. Um, but, like, for Orlovsky to get knocked out, like, so many times throughout his career, have so many tough fights. I mean, he fought Fedor years back. I mean, he's just fought through generations and generations of MMA fighters, and he's still picking off victories. So, um, you know, Vandera is really nothing special. He did have one good performance against Tafa, where he was able to put up, like, a high striking volume. Um, but, I mean, I'm thinking Orlovsky should be able to still outbox this guy. I mean, uh, he looked pretty sharp in the Philippe fight in his last fight. And, um, you know, the, the betting line has been getting bet on the Vandera side. So it seems like the the betters, the public is liking Vandera. But uh, I'll be cheering for Arlovsky to, to pull off another vet lesson victory here. Uh, in terms of in terms of fights that you're most looking forward to, I think you've got the same idea I have as well. That flyweight bout between... But I struggle with words here between Schnell and um, Alex Perez. Yeah, this fight has been booked like three or four times. I think it's it's like up there with Ferguson and Khabib with the cursed vibes. Uh, honestly, I think it's been canceled three separate times over the past you know six to nine months. Um, 
but yeah, that should be really fun. Perez, you know, coming off that title shot, uh, you know, got guillotined really quickly. But he's a much better fighter than what he showed in that fight. Honestly, the whole prelims are just kind of uh, interesting. You know, um, Deion Drage versus Morozov should be fun. Uh, Alex Hernandez versus Hanato Moicano. That's probably the highest level matchup on the card. That should be a fun fight. Uh, Hani Lawrence, um, you know, this dude is a, a tenacious wrestler who's making his way into the UFC. That guy's fun to watch. William Knight, one of the craziest physiques in all of the UFC. So, I mean, the, these prelims are going to be entertaining, no doubt. Yeah, I certainly think so as well. I think, especially compared to how maligned the 270 prelims were, this is a definite jump in quality. Mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't have any, like killer names in fights like Cruz versus Munoz. So like we had a couple of pay-per-views back, but I mean, I, 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 there's 10 fights. I mean, I think six or seven of them you can really look forward to and, you know, they should deliver as well. So solid prelim card and, you know, great main card as well. Yep. And we're going to start with that main card and we're going to talk about fight number one. And we're going up to the lightweight division where it's a, an almost veteran versus prospect matchup. It's Bobby Green taking on, I hope I pronounced this right, Nazrat Hakparast. At the moment, the betting lines have Bobby Green as a minus 170 favorite. You can get Nazrat at plus 150. And I think the narrative of this uh, fight really centers around Bobby Green because he was a guy who, he's been around for a long time. He fought in Strike Force. I think he signed for the UFC around sort of 2013, 2014. And the consensus always was that Bobby Green had the potential to be not so much a, not so much like a big star title challenging name, but to settle around sort of the top 10, top 5 of the division. And it just never seemed to come together. And yet here he is, 35 years old, and it's suddenly starting to click for him. Yeah, I mean, great analysis. I mean, he always had, like, great skill set. He was good in strike force. I mean, he was good in his early UFC career. But um, he's just very known for fighting to the level of his opponents, matching their tempo, making fights really close. But over the past few years, you know, since the pandemic, um, he started to, you know, get real serious, fight to uh, his highest ability. And, I mean, you really saw that showcase in the Ally Quinta fight. Just, I mean, completely boxed up Ally Quinta, made that matchup look really easy, um, you know, sent Al back into retirement, and he actually got the knockout, which is, you know, pretty rare. He does not have many finishes. But, uh, I mean, I love Bobby Green. He is, you know, he's got, you know, a funny personality. And the dude is legitimately a great fighter in every phase. I mean, in the clinch, defensive grappling, offensive grappling, and his his striking is just fantastic. So, I mean, I love watching the guy fight, and uh, I'll definitely be rooting for him here. Uh, on the other side, Nasrat, I mean, this guy has gotten a lot of attention, and, and, you know, you call him a prospect. I think, honestly, it's a little bit too late to be calling him a prospect at this point because he just hasn't played out how people expected him to. Uh, if you look at the guy's wins, um, like – uh, Dia Casey, Gotti, um, let's see, uh, Munoz, uh, Garcia. These guys are not really high-level guys. I mean, his best win was Mark Dia Casey by a huge, huge margin. And every time he's faced a step up in competition, he's lost badly. Um, I mean, looking back at that uh, that hooker fight, the the betting line on that one was actually pretty close. It was pretty similar to what you're saying now, like uh, around 60% for hooker. Hooker looked like 99% to win that fight. I mean, yeah. he just dominated Nasrat in every phase of the fight. So um, I've been a bit unimpressed with what I've seen from Nasrat, and I, uh, I think Bobby's got all the tools to beat him. What are you thinking about this one? I think the big thing that stood out for me with Nasrat uh, compared to the quality of his wins compared to the people who he's lost to 
He's been fighting educated strikers. Like Drew Dober is very good when it comes to his hands. We all know what Dan Hooker can do because obviously Dan Hooker very nearly came close to beating Dustin Poirier. So we know he can do it with his hands. And I think coming up against that certain level of striker is where Nazrat starts to find his level. And I think against a guy like Bobby Green, who is fantastic with his hands, a very intelligent, savvy striker, I can see Bobby taking advantage there. I think if Nazrat's going to have a lot of success, he needs to extend his combinations. That's something where I think Bobby Green has had some issues in the past. We saw that against Dustin Poirier. Dustin, in my opinion, won that fight because he was making it. It wasn't just one, two combinations. It was one, two, three, four. And that was undoing Bobby. And that's what ultimately led to him getting stopped in the first round. Um, I think there are some concerns about Bobby's age, obviously 35, 36, and having that kind of fighting style which is all about reacting to your opponents and using your hand speed. That can be somewhat of a concern, but if we see the Bobby Green we saw against Reginald and the one we saw in that four-fight winning streak when he was at the apex pretty much every month, I, I lean towards him getting the win. Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement. And, um, you know, Nasrat is, he's solid offensively. I mean, the guy does have some speed, but I just feel outside of, like, offensive striking, the guy really doesn't have much of a game he can go to. And, you know, Green is, is comfortable defensively. He's really defensively sound. He's very familiar against um, Southpaw. So I just feel that this matchup is going to be, uh, the uh, the experience that Green has, I mean, he looks sharp lately. I'm not too concerned about his age because he's, you know, honestly looking positive possibly at his career best the past few years. So um, Nasrat's going to have to put up his best performance of his uh, MMA career. He's going to have to throw a lot more volume than he typically does. Mm. And I just think that's too much to ask for him, uh, especially at this price tag of, uh, you know, only plus 130 underdog. So I like Bobby Green. I might even bet on Bobby Green here. Are you going to go with Bobby Green by decision or do you think he can get the stoppage? Um, I think it'll be a decision here. Um, you know, Green has not really finished too many guys. Uh, Ali Quinta was just kind of ring rust and, you know, was just getting popped and long stop there. Nasrat does seem, you know, somewhat durable, even though he got caught by Dober. Uh, so I think this one will be a decision victory for Bobby Green. It'll probably be 29-28 because he does tend to make fights close. But I think Green will pull off this decision. The one thing that stood out for me with Bobby Green, and I watched a couple of his old fights and I can sort of see where it comes from here. Bobby Green, for me, performs best when he's got that swagger. He's got that something. He's got that confidence, that sort of sort of jolt in his step. Because if you go back and you watch him up against Reginald and even against Fizaev, I know he lost that fight, but he has that confidence, that self-belief. Go back and you watch something like Lando Venata, which is a very underrated fight, by the way. You can tell he just doesn't have that confidence. And I think a confident Bobby Green should get this one done. I'm going to lean the same way you do. I'm going to say Bobby Green by decision. Yeah, I hope we see that 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 taunting, that swagger, that defense, uh, you know, that mean mugging that he does to his opponents. That's just vintage Bobby Green right there. So I'm glad he's getting the, the pay-per-view main card spot too. Definitely deserves it. Fight number two, and we're going to a fight which I think when people saw this fight was on the main card in terms of star power, there was a little people, there was a little bit of people raising their eyebrows, thinking, "Why is Kyla Phillips versus Marcelo Rojo on this card?" But when you deep dive and you look at both guys, you look at the fighting style, you look at what they're capable of doing, this potentially could be a fight of the night. A lot of people, a lot of hardcore fans are very excited about this one. 
Yeah, Rojo only has one fight in the UFC, but um, it's a short notice fight up a weight class against Charles Jordan. So, you know, the guy, you know, you know, he's got balls of steel jumping in short notice up a weight class against a, a solid striker in Jordan. I mean, that cut that takes a lot of guts to do. And I mean, he fought a very respectable performance. I mean, he he made it real close for the first like seven or eight minutes and then he kind of started to slow down. Jordan started to take over. But. I mean, no shame in that loss at all. I think that he, you know, exceeded expectations in that one fight. And then uh, you mentioned this uh, on Twitter, but if you go back and watch his combate fights, I mean, this dude has action-packed fights. Uh, he's a very high-tempo striker. He's, uh, you know, knocked out a few opponents at those lower weight classes, which is impressive. So, uh, you know, I think Rojo has got all the skills to make this one really exciting. I'm surprised that Campbell McLaren isn't all over this fight either, considering how much he promotes combate on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the highest profile spots for a combati fighter, you know, possibly ever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, watching his fights also in combate with the Spanish commentators, it just makes the fight like so much better. Like they got these guys are going crazy and it's just like it makes the UFC commentary seem so like boring and bland. A little bit of background for Rojo for anybody who is unfamiliar. Um 14 of his 16 wins have come by stoppage. Only three decisions in his career. Former tra training partner, I should say, of Brandon Moreno. So he does... You can almost see that sort of Brandon Moreno style when it comes to his fighting. Very great, very good boxing, as they almost are when from that training camp. Um, also look for him to throw some knees in the clinch. I think that's one of his strong fortes. And mm -hmm. especially his biggest weapon, the thing that Kyler Phillips is going to have to look out for that overhand right, that can put anybody out, especially at a weight class like Bantamweight. Yeah, and uh, on the other side, Phillips here, he's a kind of a, a trainer partner of Sean O'Malley, uh, you know, real fun fighter. And, you know, I, I talked about Rojo's last fight, giving him some respect. I mean, Phillips deserves a lot of respect for that fight, too, because I really don't think he lost that fight. I think there's a good chance that that fight was a draw. Um, I mean... Phillips came as close to killing a human being as you possibly can in round one there. I mean, he was just dropping and hurting Piva at will, elbowing his face into the canvas. And only one judge gave that round a 10-8. Um, just, I mean, I thought it was 10-7. It literally could have been the first 10-6 round in, in MMA because it was just a miracle that he didn't get knocked out. He basically virtually knocked Piva out like three separate times. Um and then he did get, you know, kind of slow down, gas out and lose those last two rounds. But I mean, when you knock a guy out several times, I mean, it's 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 expected that you're going to have a, that adrenaline dump. So I don't really think he lost that last fight, even though the judges said he did. That, I believe, was the same card as Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. Controversial decision. Mm -hmm. And also Maverick versus Barber. So I think the judges were smoking something that night because I'm totally agree with you. In my opinion, at the most, that fight was a draw because Kyler Phillips, in my opinion, 10-8 yeah. in that first round, easy. The I think the, the judges were betting that night because Barber, Piva, and Dillashaw, all underdogs and all kind of got some dodgy decisions there. So definitely possible. One of the interesting things about Kyler Phillips looking at his resume, uh, he came into the sport as a very renowned uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner, also has some great judo. But he's become far more functional in his stand-up recently. And his kicks especially has become his strongest weapon. I think it's it's fascinating to see somebody who had such a renowned grappling background embracing the striking in the way that he does. Yeah, I mean, the guy is versatile as hell. I mean, he can... I mean, he's got a nasty spinning back kick knockout on LFA, I believe. Um, 
and you know he was hurting Piva with punches. Uh, he hit takedowns on Piva. He has out grappled and won se- uh, several fights with his grappling. So I mean, this guy is skilled everywhere. And you know, getting down to the, this matchup, I think that if Phillips elects to stand and strike the entire time, it has potential to be close. I mean, the odds for this one are really wide. Phillips is over a four to one favorite. Um, but I think that it's going to look a lot closer than that when it's on the feet. When they're striking with one another, it's not going to look like a four to one uh, favorite versus a three to one underdog. Um, if Phillips decides to grapple, decides to hit some takedowns, that's when it could start mm. looking like that big four to one favorite because uh, I have seen Rojo taken down. Uh, we have seen him stuck on bottom. Uh, actually, uh, actually, uh, sexy Mexi Castaneda, who just picked up a nice win on the, on the last fight. The last fight card just a few days ago, uh, he was able to out grapple and to take down um, Rojo and, and submit him. So I haven't seen good things from Rojo in terms of his grappling, um, but it really comes down to Phillips's approach. Is he going to try to make this as entertaining as possible and make it uh, on the feet? Because it could be closer there. So, um, you know, I guess I guess it is uh, a little bit wide in this betting line. I mean, I, I think four to one for Phillips is a bit overzealous. There have been some people who have expressed concern over Kyler Phillips's conditioning. Like, he starts fights very strong, but does have a tendency to fade in the second and third rounds. Could we maybe see that come into, come into play? Yeah, um, that did happen, I think, in the Song Yudong fight. I think he won the first two and kind of slowed down and lost round three there. Um, but I also haven't seen great cardio from Rojo. Um you know, I guess you could point to the to the Jordan fight, even though that was short notice. So you can't really, really uh, give him a lot of uh, criticism for that one. But uh, the the Castaneda fight, the one I mentioned, he did lose in round three there. And if you look at um, his uh, his loss before that was a, a round three submission to Mariquin. So if you look at his record, uh, most of his wins are in the first round early on in the fight. So uh, that does kind of symbolize that he probably doesn't do well with his own gas tank. So I don't see, I don't see Rojo coming back late either. So um, it's really a matter of does Phillips grapple or not, because if Phillips grapples, he should win, you know, 80, 90% of the time. Uh, if he doesn't, it could look more like 60, 70%. So I hope they strike. I hope we get to see some fun exchanges here and, and, uh, you know, this does have the makings to be a really fun fight. So I don't I don't disagree with the the placement on the card at all. You know, sometimes we talk shit about the way they they structure these pay-per-views. But I think this is, you know, a perfect structuring. You got Bobby Green kicking it off. Phillips, who's exciting. You got the number one contender fight after this. Great co-main and main event. So the UFC actually nailed this, uh, the spacing or the pacing on this card. I, I totally agree. I I've been more supportive of this fight being on the main card than some other people do. Uh, if I had to make my own prediction, um, I'm very similar to you. I think if Kyler Phillips chooses to make this a grappling match, he's going to win this one quite comfortably. Um, I think there may be a tendency early on to maybe try and go for the finish. Um, if I had to put my money where my mouth is, I would probably lean towards Kyler Phillips. I'm going to say early second round knockout. Mm-hmm. I'll go submission. So yeah, second and third round submission, I'll say for Phillips. So we move on to the fight you just mentioned there, which is our number one contender match in the middleweight division. And it's two names that if you had to put your money on it a couple of years ago, I don't think anyone would have these two down as a title eliminator. It's Jared Cannonier taking on Derek Brunson. Uh, you can get Cannonier minus 180. Brunson comes in at plus 155. Before we actually discuss the fight itself, though, this is something which I've personally been thinking for a while. I just want your opinion. Why do you think... The majority of MMA fans 
continue to disrespect Derek Brunson. Because here we have a guy who's won his past five fights in a row against increasingly tougher competition. And yet, I find a lot of the time, a lot of those fans who take part in opinion polls and put money on him always seem to underrate his skill set. Like, I've got a list here of the INC polls uh, of every main event that Derek Brunson's been in over the past year. Um, just looking at this here, we've got 32% picked him against Edmund Shabazian, which of course he went on to win. That was down mm-hmm. to 19% when he fought Kevin Holland and 25% Insane. against Darren Till. So for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of fans out there that don't give this guy the credit they deserve. Why do you think that is? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a mystery. I feel like because the guy has had a huge career transformation. I mean, I think at one point there, um, yeah, from like 2013 to 2018, he had one fight that went out of round one, right? It was the Anderson Silva fight. I guess Lorenz Larkin as well. Um, but, I mean, he was a killer-be-killed fighter in round one. That was just his style. I mean, if you remember the Robert Whitaker fight, he was literally sprinting at Whitaker, falling over his feet. Like, he just... He he was so overzealous in those early rounds. Then he started training with uh, with Henry Hoof at Sanford. Started you know calming down a little bit more, going back to his wrestling, his bread and butter. And I mean, his past five fights, uh, he's just looked fantastic. Honestly, um, another thing you note uh, to note about how underrated he is, he was an underdog in all those fights. I mean, the uh, the Theodoro fight was a pick'em, but he was an underdog to Heinish, a uh, big underdog to Shabazian, and then underdogs in uh, Holland and Till fight right away. And I mean, in all those fights, you know, after the fight is said and done, you're thinking, how the hell was that guy the underdog? I mean, he dominated those guys. Um, so yeah, just notoriously underrated. And, um, you know, Getting down to this matchup, I kind of do lean like Cannoneer's way, but I'm also thinking like Brunson is just consistently underrated. You really can't uh, like discredit this guy's chances at all. I know the, the odds say he's an underdog once again, but the odds have been wrong time and time and time again against Derek Brunson. So that's really given me some pause here, uh, you know, with my with my Cannoneer lean here. But um, what what are you thinking about this matchup? Um, well, we're going to have to differ because I'm leaning towards Derek Brunson for this one. Um, I think that his style, uh, if he utilizes it right, can cause Cannonier a lot of problems because Jared Cannonier, of course, former heavyweight fighter, he does carry a lot of power. He's, he's one of the few guys who's managed to drop down to a lower weight but still maintain his power. And that's a big strength, in my opinion, at middleweight. But I don't think his takedown defense is as solid as some people like to think it is. Because I've seen a couple of these fights. He fought David Branch, got dominated in that first round, but managed to get the knockout early in the second. And again, he fought Jack Manson, and Manson again dominated him in the first round. He came back to win it in the second. So I think guys who grapple can find success against him. He does have good scrambling ability, so that might be a concern if, um, if Brunson isn't able to hold him down. But we've seen Brunson hold down like some top level guys quite comfortably. So I've got confidence that Derek could grind this one out. Where it could be a concern though is if Cannonier does find some success in the fate. Because even though the Darren Till fight was fairly one sided on the whole, we did see in that third round Till starting to find success. He started to catch Brunson once and twice. And we did see Brunson start to go back to the old guy who was swinging a bit wildly managed to get that takedown and ended up getting the win. If Cannonier does find success, we could see Brunson start panicking. And that's where 
I err on the side of caution when it comes to backing Brunson. Yeah, that tail fight was just hilarious. Like you said, uh, Brunson dominates the first 12 minutes, and then he gets rocked badly in round three. And then he goes from rocked to takedown to mount to rear naked choke within like 30 seconds. Like he was completely like stumbling all over the place and then just got the, got the instant takedown right in the mount and then tail rolled over and got choked right away. I mean, it was just a hilarious sequence in like such a short amount of time. Um, but, you know, the takedown defense is really what this fight is going to come down to. And I've been rewatching a lot of Cannoneer fights, you know, looking at his takedown defense. And the guy doesn't have the greatest, like, initial layer of takedown defense, but he's so strong and athletic that, like, he's really hard to hold down. I mean, Branch and Hermanson got him down, and they had him down in, like, good positions. And he is just so explosive and strong that he was able to escape some really bad spots. I mean, Hermanson almost had a back take on him. Uh, Branch had him down flat on his back a few times. But, I mean, the dude is just, uh, uh, so strong. I mean, uh, his physique at this weight class is just crazy. Um, and if you look at his fights, uh, like at light heavyweight versus Blahovich versus Teixeira, uh, you know, Loki Cannonier's got a pretty crazy resume over the past few years, but he did get held down in those fights by those bigger guys. But you can see 20 pounds lighter. He is much more agile. He can really get his, uh, get his ass up off the floor, you know, in impressive fashion, um, time and time again. So, um, I think we could see Brunson get some takedowns here, but I think that he's not going to hold him down. And the the thing you have to look at it with these past uh, you know few fights of Brunson's, the guys he's taken down and held down. Um, first was Shabazian, who we saw Hermanson do the same thing to him. We know that Shabazian just isn't, or uh, Imovol did the same thing too. Once Shabazian gets taken down, he lays flat on his back for long periods of time. Kevin Holland, same exact thing. Uh, Brunson put on a clinic. Vittoria put on a clinic. I mean. He's just incapable of getting off his back. And you could really say the same thing about Darren Till, just not a skilled wrestler, not good in the jiu-jitsu. And I think that when you look at Cannoneer, I mean, his ability to get off his back is just so, so much better than those recent guys that Brunson has fought. So, um, and then it comes down to the striking in this one. Um, Rewatching the Cannoneer Gaslam fight, I was, you know, very pleasantly surprised at how sharp Cannoneer mm-hmm. striking looks. I mean, the guy's got a, a great jab. He's got really good kicks. He can mix up the kicks to the head, to the body, to the legs. You know, he dismantled Anderson Silva with those leg kicks. Um, and, you know, the guy's got power in his hands. He knocked out uh, Hermanson with that uppercut. Um, uh, Branch, I think, was a, an uppercut as well, maybe. Um, so the dude is just... Uh, a, a near elite striker. I mean, he's a really, really good striker. And, uh, you know, the guy's just made so many improvements lately. I think that he does have the tools to, to beat uh, Brunson here. I think he's going to be winning the the overwhelming majority of the striking. And like I said, even if he gets taken down, I trust him to work his way back up, find some counter shots. And uh, I think I'll pick him to, to knock out Brunson here. And if I remember correctly as well, he, am I right in saying he rocked Robert Whitaker quite late on in that fight? I think I don't remember though. I think I feel like it was the other way around. I think remember he he broke his arm like uh he he was blocking kicks from Whitaker. I think he broke it one of his arms and uh, I don't I don't recall him doing that. I feel like he he lost all three rounds. I could be wrong though. I, I seem to remember. No no no. Him. He, he did he did win round he did win round three I believe unanimously. Yes, so yes. you might be right. Yeah. It's just so it's good memory. Maybe it's one of those sort of like Streisand effect things. That sort of Mandela effect. You sort of sort of think. <laughs> fictional things into existence 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you are right. I mean, my memory of that one wasn't isn't too sharp. I didn't rewatch that one, but uh, so you're going with uh, Brunson as your pick here. Are you going to go with decision? I'm going to say Brunson by decision. Maybe it's a little bit of sentiment on my side because I've been one of the bigger Derek Brunson defenders over these past two or three years, but I don't know. I think he has turned a corner. And I think that he's got the grappling to try and to possibly hold down Cannonier. Before we move on to the core main though, obviously this fight is going to be a title eliminator. The likelihood is that the winner of this one is going to fight the winner of Whitaker versus Adesanya. Who in your opinion could be the tougher opponent for both Bob and for Izzy? Mm. Um, it's interesting because we have seen this kind of like triangle of opponents, right? We saw Brunson, uh, we, Izzy has fought Brunson and Whitaker hasn't fought Cannoneer. Um, Whitaker has fought both of these guys, beat them both. Um, so, I mean, I think, uh, I think Brunson would be, uh, maybe the worst matchup for Izzy just because, uh, you know, he's fighting a little more calculated now. If he goes about getting those takedowns in a in a better way, we could see him get to, uh, the the wrestling going and possibly pull off that uh, victory. That would be a crazy uh, f- like flip to the story, though, from Brunson getting, you know, smashed and knocked out in round one to a couple years later coming back and defeating Izzy. That would be a crazy story. Um, but I, I would like to see Cannoneer versus Izzy. I think that would be really fun, too. I think those striking exchanges would be really fun. Um, but, um, you know, I think that the main event guys, whoever wins, I think do have a pretty succinct advantage over either one of these guys. So uh, no matter who wins out of Cannoneer and Brunson, I don't see them getting the title. Uh, and then you kind of have Vittori and Strickland off in the mix, too, who are both on good win streaks. And uh, apparently they train together and they, they don't want to fight each other. But that seems like the the, the logical matchup for the next uh, the next middleweight challenger, too. So middleweight's, you know, kind of got some buzz right now, I'd say. I could possibly see Strickland fighting the loser of this fight. Mm hmm. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, but then, then Vittori is a little bit left in limbo, too, because he's on, you know, a solid win streak himself. So. I guess he did. He did just fight for the title, though. So you can't. You can't really. He's actually not on a win streak. He only won one fight. So maybe I'm getting a little mixed up here. So yeah, Vittori is at the the back of the line. I'd say. Then Strickland is really knocking on the door. Time for us to talk about our core main event now. John, where do you stand in terms of how important is technical striking when it comes to enjoying an MMA fight? Um. I'd say it is very important, um, but, you know, there are a few exceptions along the lines and, you know, both of these big boys are part of that exception. So, you know, that's not, we don't need to, we don't need nothing technical. We just want to see these two guys bang it out and, you know, perfect, perfect matchmaking for Derek Lewis. He won his last fight. He said, I don't want no more five round fights and thank God Derek Lewis, because that's what we've all been thinking for years and years, but the UFC keeps putting him in five round fights. This man is a, this is a perfect spot for Derek Lewis pay-per-view main card, co-main event in his hometown of Houston. I mean, just Exquisite matchmaking here by the UFC. And one of my favorite stats as well, he has never lost a fight in February. What's his record there? Like five or six and zero or something? I mean, that is, that is, uh, you know, he's got that Black History Month trend going behind him. I mean, he's got the, he's got the, the pride pumping through his veins. And, uh, you know, that's, that's clearly the explanation for it, I'd say. It's a fight as well that uh, got put together on comparatively short notice. I think that, Obviously, we did have uh, Cannonier versus Brunson, but I think the UFC felt they needed another 
another sort of big high-profile fight. And of course, Derek Lewis, the big beloved fighter from Houston. He's obviously going to have a place on this card. There are some people out there that think that as fun as Tai Tuivasa is, as big of a fan favorite, and even though he is on a 4-5 winning streak, this is still a guy who's only ranked 11th in the weight class. Is he being pushed to the front of the queue maybe a little bit earlier than he should be? Um, I'd say yes, but I, I think that he, he's ready for it. You know, I mean, four knockouts in a row, um, you know, Sakai is kind of like a fringe top 15 guy. I mean, at some point in times, we're going to have to have fighters taking leaps up in competition and that's what Tuivasa is doing here. Um, but I mean, Tuivasa has looked better. I mean, he definitely has, he, he got, you know, dominated in the grappling by Spivak and then, you know, decided to, you know, start training his weaknesses a little bit more. We haven't, you know, seen him tested in the grappling really, um, which is his main issue. But I think even his striking is looking better. His, uh, his incorporating a leg kick a little bit more, um, his boxing is looking a little tighter uh, and he's got, you know, nasty power in his hands. So, uh, Chivas has been looking better lately. I think he deserves to step up. It's quite appropriate you brought up the Spivak fight as well because that fight took place at UFC 243, which was the same card as the first Adesanya versus Whitaker fight. And that was really a low point for Taito Avase. Like, that was his third loss in a row against a guy who... Some may question whether or not Sergei Spivak is UFC level, but since then, the four knockouts in a row, and I think especially the Augusto Sakai fight, uh, was one that really surprised me because... Sakai's a pretty solid fighter, as you mentioned before, sort of fringe top 15. But the thing that took me was how much bigger he was than Tai. Like, Tai's a big lad, but Sakai was massive. And yet he was still mm -hmm. able to finish him. And in my opinion, won the first round as well. So it wasn't sort of like he was getting dominated oh, yeah. and then a lucky punch. He deserved to win that fight. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think Sakai has honestly taken a turn for the worse in his past few fights. The guy's just looking worse and worse and, like, rapidly terrible. And he's just morbidly obese, too. So um, that's not, you know, a good sign for for uh, him. But, you know, getting down to this matchup, um, uh, with, with Lewis, you know, you got to be thinking uh, his main problems are guys who can take him down and who can, like, outwork him, put up a higher striking volume than him. Ty doesn't really fit that mold. I mean, he's kind of like the the same type of fighter as Lewis, where he's he's reliant on his hands. He's reliant on big bursts of offense. He's reliant on knockouts. Um, but, you know, I think the leg kick of Ty could really make this fight interesting because Lewis notoriously does not check leg kicks. And if, uh, you know, Ty comes in with a heavy leg kick game plan, that could be the most consistent offense we see throughout the fight because Lewis is known for that, like, um, unload reload style where he's he waits he like does nothing for 60 seconds and then just absolutely bursts on you um and you know if that's if he's had fights before like the Ivanov fight um and there's another one the latifi fight where nothing happens and then he kind of just bursts at his opponents the crowd pops off the houston the new york crowd pops off for lewis and then he wins a close decision so if this one does go to the decision you gotta think the h-town crowd will be you know influencing the rounds towards lewis so um you know, very, very interesting fight. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to Benny. Who, how the hell can you not look forward to this, to these guys? Um, and I think I also said last time um, I bet Dawkins against Lewis, and I bet I think I bet Sakai versus Tuivasa. And I told myself I need to stop betting against these guys. And now I'm in a predicament where I, I technically can't bet against either of them. So maybe I'll have to bet like the fight going the distance or something. I've seen a lot of people, you know, like Dirk Lewis is 
maybe somewhat unfairly, he usually gets used as like the benchmark to say, oh, look at how bad the heavyweight division is. Derek Lewis is a top five guy. I think Derek Lewis is a lot more technical and has a lot more savvy about him than some people give him credit for. Like nothing he does is subtle. And I'm not going to say he's sort of like a, a technical mastermind or anything like that. But even his big motions serve a purpose. Like he'll throw that sort of big jumping switch kick, but that's his way of closing distance. And I, like, I, th I think we saw that to an extent when he fought uh, Chris Dawkins. Like Dawkins did have a lot of success, but like we saw Derek just sort of, the, the cogs in his head were going and then he managed to find his opening and then tee off on him. Like Derek Lewis is a lot better than people give him credit for. Yeah. I mean, I, th I thought that Dawkins' performance was just absolutely puzzling. I mean, this guy, um, he, he was a notorious fast starter. He was known for landing hands, getting in his opponent's face and just popping them with punches. And that's how he was able to knock out a lot of guys. And then in the biggest fight of his career against a guy who hates when you get in his face and throw punches, he just decided to do nothing and just like leg kick him. And then he gave Lewis all the time to burst and Lewis clipped him and knocked him out. I mean, it was a extremely puzzling performance from Dawkins there. But, I mean, Lewis did what he had to do. Um, and, you are know, looking at the betting line for this one, Lewis is almost a 2-1 to one favorite. I don't know. I feel like with the guy's style of being, you know, so inactive and then bursting, I don't think that's a guy – he's really a guy you can back as, like, a 2-1 to one favorite. I mean, he, Lewis is more like an underdog type of fighter, I'd say, uh, to be to be back in rather than as a favorite. So if you are betting this one, I'd probably say it's tied to Vasa or pass. But, um, you know, I think the, the betting this fight to go a little longer could possibly be a profitable strategy here. The one big concern I have with Ty is as good as this four fight winning streak has been, he hasn't been facing power punches. He hasn't been facing people that can maybe give his chin some questions. Like, he's been fighting Stefan Struve, Harry Hunsucker. Yes, Greg Hardy does have power, but he's become much more of a point fighter in his later fights. And then Augusto Sakai, who is more on the note for his decisions. Derek Lewis, mm -hmm. as we know, can absolutely crack. And I've just got this fear from Ty's perspective. If he does feel Derek's power, he's not going to like it. Yeah. And I think I think Hardy kind of clipped him too in that fight, yes. right? Like, didn't like Hardy clip him and then like rush in recklessly and get knocked out himself? Um, yeah. So, um, and if this fight, like I said, does go to the decision, which I don't think should be completely rolled out. I mean, these guys are knockout fighters, but um, I think Derek Lewis has Derek Lewis ever lost a decision in the UFC? No, he beat uh, he beat Latifi, Ivanov, uh, Ngannou. Uh, Roy Nelson. I mean, the guy's never lost a decision in the UFC. So, you know, the guy is like a, you know, he just has like a sneaky ability to steal rounds with it, that crazy style of his. And like I said, the crowd is going to be popping off every time he does something, which is going to influence the judges, no doubt. So, uh, my pick, I'll go with Derek Lewis by decision. That's a big, that's a, quite a bold call out to go by decision. I can maybe see it happening as well. Like, as much as we're bigging up this fight, as much as we're seeing the idea of two big knockout artists while they swing at each other, is there a chance this could be another Lewis versus Ngannou? That we just have two guys who are both scared of each other's power and neither wants to make the first move? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean... Like I said, Lewis is not like it's not like he just swings for the fence at the entire time. He the rounds five minutes, he's doing nothing 
he's like staring at you just breathing for like a good three or four minutes and then that one minute he's just going balls to the wall so i mean uh i see it it's actually this fight is actually favored to end in the first round which is you know very rare I, i'll be betting the for the fight to start the second round i mean it's only five minutes and Derek lewis can definitely wait around for a little bit so um don't be surprised if this one does go the distance Time for us to talk about our main event of the evening, and it's a rematch from UFC 243. Israel Adesanya, our middleweight champion, is taking on Robert Whittaker, the man he beat to win the belt over in Australia. Betting odds for this one, you can get Adesanya at minus 280. Whittaker comes in at plus 225. It was a pick'em the first time they fought over in Australia. Interestingly, the INC poll, they have Adesanya for this one 57%. Whitaker 43, and that gap has been closing ever since we uploaded that poll. Now, when it comes to MMA, John, I always believe that there's two types of fight in terms of the way they play out. There's either a match which fighter A wins or a match fighter B loses. Like if we use, say, Nunes versus Pena, for example, that was a fight Nunes lost rather than one that Juliana won. I bring this mm -hmm. up because I rewatched the first fight between Whitaker and Adesanya. And even though Izzy deserves the credit for his part in that fight, Robert Whittaker was not his best at all in that match. And in my opinion, the way he fought created a rod for his own back. Yeah, I mean, I think he fought, you know, pretty terribly there. Um, you know, he was just getting way too aggressive. Um, he What really cost him the fight was uh, extending in long combinations in the pocket. Um, he probably thought that he would have, you know, the pocket advantage versus Izzy. But, you know, Izzy absolutely shocked me with that short power in his punches in those fights. I mean, the the... The punch he dropped him at the end of round one with, the the punch that eventually led to the finishing sequence. I mean, those were tight combinations in the pocket. Not exactly something Izzy was known for. I mean, he's known as more of like an outside striker. You know, maybe he'll hurt you with a knee or a head kick, but he's not really known for dropping people with punches. And, you know, he really shocked us and showed off some of his own boxing power uh, in that fight um, versus Rob. But, you know, Rob, like I said, he just hung out in the pocket too long. He was in extended combinations. He's He knows what he has to work on. Very smart guy. And, you know, just right off the bat, I trust him to make, you know, the right adjustments. I think he's going to look at the fight objectively, know what he did wrong. He's not going to go in making the same mistakes. And, you know, uh, I, he's looked fantastic since that fight, right? It's not like we're dealing with a guy who might be past his prime, who has looked slower and slower in his past few fights. I mean, the guy has looked uh, at his all-time best, you know, beating Cannoneer and uh, uh, Gaslam. The Till fight wasn't his greatest performance, but, I mean, he's put out three, you know, very solid decision wins since then, and I don't think he slowed down a step. So, uh, you know, with the the betting line for this one, I don't, did you mention it already? The current line, like you said, the last I one did. was a pick um, Is he at minus 280, Whitaker plus 225? Yeah, so I mean, the first fight, Whitaker. I think that when the fight started, he was a slight underdog, maybe like forty-eight percent or something like that, and now he's below thirty-three percent. So, I mean, that's it's a huge, huge change, and I honestly am under the belief that no human being 
on earth, possibly MM, no fighter in history should be over 70% versus Robert Whitaker. I mean, Whitaker is a, a fantastic fighter, and I just think that 70% or above is, is disrespecting how great this guy has been. I think, yeah, Izzy's at like 72, like you said, min, uh, minus 280. That's almost 75%, which I think is just a little bit, a little bit wide here. So I'll pass it back to you before I give like my official thoughts. What do you think was the biggest reason behind the way Whitaker fought in the first fight? Do you think that he saw some of the success that Kelvin Gastelum had and tried to replicate that game plan? Did Izzy get into his head? Was it was the moment a bit too much? 60,000 people in Australia. Why do you think he chose that approach? It was very unlike Robert Whitaker. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably figured the best way to get into to outstrike this guy is to get aggressive, get in his face, box him up. Uh, I definitely think that probably the crowd, the huge uh, crowd could have played a factor into it. Um, but he just made a tactical error, right? I mean, he, he approached the fight in the wrong way. He paid for it via getting knocked out. And, you know, I think that he's going to approach it in a much more uh, strategic way, a much more patient way, because, Izzy tends to kind of like match the tempo that you give him, right? Uh, look at the the Romero fight. If Romero was was standing at distance, barely doing anything, Izzy kind of did the same thing, um, and it, it left some openings uh, for for Izzy to get caught there. I mean, I haven't rewatched the fight because it was so boring, but a lot of people actually scored that fight for Romero. Um, like I forget which rounds one, three and five or something, but, uh, I mean, not a whole lot happened in that fight and it, it isn't out of the realm of possibility that, that Yoel did edge three of those rounds. So if Robert approaches the fight more patiently, takes what the fight gives him, you know, doesn't get, just charge at Izzy and give him so many opportunities to counter, I think the fight's going to go a lot better for him. I think the big weapon that Rob's going to have to utilize is his wrestling because, Obviously, we've seen Whitaker, fantastic hands, very good at concealing his offense. But a lot of people don't realize this with Whitaker. He is a very, very good grappler. I believe that, I think he tried to represent Australia at the, the Commonwealth Games, something like that, in wrestling. Um, so mm -hmm. he's got some grappling ability to him. And we have seen Adesanya be taken down before. And especially, uh, we saw it with the Jan Blachowicz fight. If you get him in the center of the cage... That's where I think some of Izzy's grappling failings come into the fore. Because if you're sort of like trying to do the same thing that Marvin Vittori was, the mistake Vittori did was it was clinching up against the fence and trying to go for that single leg and drag him down. Izzy's going to cover those every day of the week. But shooting in from open space, that's one of his failings in my opinion. Yeah, um... So you mentioned him getting stuck on his back. Yeah, I mean, the dude has gotten taken down several times in his past two fights against uh, uh, Jan. He got taken down twice in those later rounds. And I think he got taken down three or four times by Vittori. And I was actually re-watching the Vittori-Izzy rematch, and I, I didn't remember Vittori getting such good positions in the grappling. Like, in the first round, he caught a leg kick and got top position. He got two takedowns later in the rounds where Izzy was flat on his back, but Vittori just completely blew those opportunities. I mean, his jiu-jitsu looked shit. He went for a back take one time, got way too sloppy and loose, and ended up getting reversed. I mean, he had Izzy flat on his back three times and achieved nothing with it. Um, so, I mean, he really boofed that, that opportunity there. Um, but 
I feel like Izzy's takedown defense might have hit its ceiling. Like, it might have plateaued a little bit. I mean, it was steadily improving, you know, up until 2019, 2020. But I feel like maybe, you know, he has stopped training it as much. But I feel like, you know, it might be at its all-time best. It might not be getting any better. And we did see Vittori hit a few takedowns. So, I think that Rob would be wise to mix in some takedowns here. Um, I think that he needs to just lay in half guard, lay on top. Jan Blachowicz just laid on top in half guard and full guard and just didn't do him too much. And that was perfect because Izzy couldn't get up. He just put all of his weight on him. And Vittori tried getting way too crazy. He you know, felt the, the moment of getting on top. He went for too much and he lost the position. So if Rob can get some takedowns, lay on top for a few minutes, I mean, he could steal some rounds that way, and uh, I definitely think that Rob needs to mix in some, needs to mix in some wrestling. He needs to come with a, a different, more versatile approach. And in terms of Adesanya, obviously he got the win first time around. If he wants to make it two and all, what do you think are the best attributes he's going to want to utilize? Because there have been some people who think the Whitaker's quite foot heavy. Could we maybe see Izzy utilizing some leg kicks a bit more? Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe some some long range kicks, maybe that front kick up the middle, maybe some of those like oblique kicks that um that uh like John Jones likes to utilize. Um yeah, I mean I think that he's gotta I think that he's gotta make some range tools work for him because I do think that Rob's gonna be more patient and I think that uh Izzy needs to, you know, initiate those combinations early on, uh, initiate some of those longer kicks, his head kicks and whatnot. Um Maybe try to time some knees up the middle like he likes to do when Whitaker comes in. But that's a good question. I haven't really been thinking too much about the Izzy side. Uh, I'm really more focused on Rob and, you know, he's the loser. He He's the one who needs to make the major adjustments. And, you know, Rob is, you know, an over two to one underdog, which I am interested. In. I, I think this one, I see it more like 65% for Israel, uh, while the odds have him 73, 74. So I do think it is a bit off here. And uh, I'll definitely be cheering for uh, for Bobby Knuckles to get off the, the upset victory. Um, I'm not confident in him to do so. But if he, he comes in more patient, if he mixes in some takedowns, uh, I think he's capable of pulling it off. So um, hopefully Rob can get it done. I'm a big fan of Whitaker. I mean, I like Izzy, but I like uh, Rob a lot better, and I uh, would just love to see him get his belt back. I think there is a lot of value in picking a Whitaker win. I think if you're going to the common sense approach, Adesanya is the safe bet. But there is mm-hmm. definitely an avenue for Whitaker to win this one, especially if he utilizes the wrestling. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see this one go the distance this time, um, and I feel like it's gonna be three rounds to two on either side. I think we're gonna have, you know, a competitive matchup um, when it hits the scorecards, um, and uh, yeah, I mean that that'll be my my official like prediction is this one does go the distance i don't have like a uh, an extreme confident read on either side like i said i think it'll be 48 47 on either side and i'll be rooting for whitaker to get it done and i think you've made a really good point as well um you just actually brought it up that obviously we're going to be in houston texas and houston and the texas state athletic commission are notorious for being a little bit left field when it comes to some of their judges calls could we maybe mm-hmm. see a controversial decision either way in this one 
Yeah, that that is possible. I mean, the uh, the Andrea Lee Lauren Murphy fight sticks out. Lee outstrikes there for four minutes around. Murphy lands a takedown in the last thirty seconds, and then Murphy wins the scorecard. So. Maybe a late Whitaker takedown could seal some important rounds here and sway that judge's decision his way. Um, but I just think, like I said, I, I re- really reiterate it. Robert Whitaker, I don't think any human being should be over 70% against him in an MMA fight. I think, uh, you know, just a fantastic underrated fighter, great grappler, one of the best defensive wrestlers ever. Watch that Yoel Romero fight and just an elite striker, too. So, you know, don't count Whitaker out. And, um, you know, hopefully Bobby Knuckles can pull off the upset. We're getting a lot of people obviously framing Cannonier versus Brunson as a title eliminator. If Whitaker wins this fight, is that still the case? Or do the UFC run the trilogy? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I hope not the trilogy, just for this. I mean, I just don't like seeing the same fight back to back, you know. Um, I mean, Israel has defended his belt, uh, what, three times? Romero... Vittori, maybe only twice, right? Am I forgetting one? Um, um, Paulo Costa. Paulo, yeah, yeah, so three times. I mean, he has probably earned his right to a, an immediate rematch. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like if the Blahovich loss wasn't in there, like it would be a no-brainer for him to get an immediate rematch. Um, but, you know, I feel like that kind of does put like a stale taste in some people's mouths. So maybe they, if Whitaker wins, maybe they do uh, Whitaker and the Brunson uh, Cannonier winner, and then they'll do Strickland Adesanya in the meantime or something. So I don't know. That's a, that's a good question, though. I feel like the UFC, the way they operate, though, they'll probably do the immediate trilogy. Yeah. I, I'm in personally in the same boat as you. Like, I personally think that Whitaker and Adesanya are both a step above the rest of the contenders. But for the sake of the weight class and the sake of freshening things up, ideally, I would like to see new fighters challenging for the belt. And that's no disrespect to either Adesanya or Whitaker, because I like both guys. I just want to see fresh faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we've we talked about that on this this previous show a few times, that uh, the, the top guys are kind of, there's a big gap between the top five and everybody else, and that means we're kind of seeing a lot of rematches. I mean, the WME era has been notorious for rematches, so... Um, uh, you know, we're definitely new matchups are the best. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we could get some of them instead of rematches. But, you know, really looking forward to the fight. I think they they waited enough time between uh, the the first fight and this one to really build up some anticipation for the rematch. Whitaker has uh, racked up some nice wins since then. So I think this is coming at the perfect time. And, uh, you know, just really looking forward to this main event. One of the more deserved rematches of recent years, in my opinion. Definitely. Yep. yep. Whitaker completely deserved it. And hopefully that sets the stage perfectly for what you can expect on Saturday, UFC 271. It will be Adesanya taking on Robert Whittaker for the middleweight title. And of course, a fantastic undercard, including Lewis versus Tuivasa, and a potential title eliminator between Derek Brunson and Jared Cannonier. John, I think it's safe to say that if 270 was sort of maybe a little bit underwhelming in terms of star power and in terms of anticipation, 271 makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, I would be really, really shocked to see this main card not deliver. I mean, the way the matchups are, the way they're structured, I think uh, they put the right fights in the right spots. And I think that, uh, you know, 
I think three or four of these fights should be great. Maybe we'll have one fight that doesn't quite live up to expectations, but I'm pretty confident this is going to be a great main card. So, you know, we, we criticize the UFC a lot, but props to them on this one for nailing this order. And, uh, you know, really looking forward to Saturday night. Hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, just need to start up the fight pair. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll complain about a. Uh, we'll get back to complaining before the next pay per view or something. But we're we're a pretty positive note this week. So that is our breakdown of UFC 271. If you want even more detail regarding this card, there's one place to go to. John, once again, where is the best place to contact you? You'll be doing a full breakdown of the entire card, including the prelims. Yep, so you can follow me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. And you can find my podcast with my man Ozzy where we talk about the bets uh, and every single matchup on the card in extensive detail. Um, top to bottom, Martian MMA on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. So check us out there. And thanks again to Carl and all the INC Live listeners for having me on. Hope you all enjoyed the preview show, and we'll see you before 272 next month. And hopefully you will be back with us for 272. Non-title fight, main event, very rare these days. It's a big grudge match though. It's going to be Usman, not Usman, Kamar Usman. It's Usman's two um, two biggest fours. It's uh, Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Covington. Uh, any interest in that one? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, the, one of the rare fights that can get away with being a non-title five-round main event on a pay-per-view. And, uh, you know... Definitely looking forward to that one. So uh, we will uh, we'll see you back for that one in just about a month. All right. Yep. Hope you can join us for that one, John. I hope you can join us as well in just three weeks' time for that show. Uh, this is the INC. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been John Martian. See you. See you later. Hope you enjoy UFC 271, and I hope that you will be back with us in three weeks' time for UFC 272. Bye bye for now.